What if I told you one of the main roles of your saliva is to remineralize your teeth? That everything that you have been taught about cavities is false and you can heal them. They don't need to be ripped out of your mouth or drilled into what you need to do to get there. We are Cause Talks Health. Thanks for joining us as we share our personal journey to health by researching and interviewing our way through wellness-related topics. I'm your host, Alyssa Haas. So essentially, my tooth healing journey starts years ago when I was on a remote island and I didn't have access to dentistry that I felt comfortable using at the time. And I started putting oregano oil on it. I didn't have access to the internet. I didn't look anything up on it. I just knew the properties of oregano and decided that it would work. It was able to draw the infection up and out of my tooth rather than staying down in the root of my tooth. When I ended up getting a root canal, because I didn't know any better at the time, which if I could go back, I probably would not get a root canal. Just want to put that out there. I would have had the tooth pulled. The endodontist said, I don't understand with how bad this is, how you withstood the pain of your tooth dying. And it did hurt, but it wasn't unbearable. She also said, you know, an alternative to this happy scenario could have been that you diseased your blood and, you know, that line that goes under your jaw. It's just amazing that the infection was drawn upward and out rather than staying down there because for how bad my tooth was, I wasn't eating an extremely healthy diet at the time. She said, it's a surprise. It's, I've never seen anything like this without somebody coming in and having it, you know, packed with antibiotics. And I did not tell her that it was because I put oregano oil on it because I didn't want to deal with what she might say to that, but I know that that's what it was. And I only had access to basically prayer and that's how I had decided to put oregano on it. So first starting on my tooth healing journey, just a big reminder of the importance of your intuitive and spiritual knowledge of things. I knew that affecting your oral health with other things besides modern day dentistry was possible at that point. That's all I knew. I didn't know that you could heal a cavity. As I started to learn more about your overall health, I started to wonder and think, well, your bones can heal after you break them. Why can't your teeth heal? And I just got curious about it. And then recently, Brighton had a small cavity on her tooth. We had kind of slipped into eating, you know, the treats and the health food quote, quote unquote, treat made with honey and agave, which is Agave is terrible for you. We can talk about different types of sugar and their effects on your body in a while. I said, oh, Brighton, you have a little cavity right here. And she started crying. And she said, I don't want to go to the dentist. And so that's kind of when I said, okay, somebody has suggested this book to me in the past. I had actually healed my cavity in the past, which I'll talk about remineralizing that cavity a little bit later on. Another time that I had healed my cavity was when I was pregnant and I was on a specific liver protocol and I had a cavity. Some people's teeth get really bad when they're pregnant and I think that's just because of the hormone changes and the different signals that your body's using. It's prioritizing your baby but it still is possible to have healthy teeth while you're pregnant. You just need to make sure that your body is getting 
all of the nutrients that it needs to do so. So I was on a specific liver protocol that I went on the last trimester of being pregnant and I healed a cavity and actually closed a small hole that had developed in my tooth then. Healing a cavity will likely take, depending obviously on how severe it is and on how intensely you implement the things I'm going to talk about, but it takes on average about six weeks. If you have a large hole in your tooth, it will likely still be there at the end. It might get a little smaller, but it's not I realized common to completely close a hole in your tooth and this time around the hole that redeveloped in the same tooth um, is not going away this time. I've been working at it very intensely for about three weeks, maybe four, and I'm going to give it a good another two weeks. I think it's important to remember that a lot of the things I'm going to talk about are lifelong habit that need to be changed and not just something that you should do when you get a cavity. A cavity is a sign to you, a gift even, telling your body that you need to change something because, you know, your tooth is literally screaming at you. You are not giving me the nutrients that I need. It's your body speaking to you and you need to listen and you need to change something and you need to keep it changed, not just get rid of the pain, not just kill the messenger, not just drill it and fill it and we'll talk about how to do that the way that I'm doing it currently the way that I have already done it in this short four-week period for my daughter who now no longer has a big brown cavity on one of her front teeth and how to prevent future cavities in a further podcast we will talk about how to help our children additionally in their youth to prevent cavities and crooked teeth and malformations and other things like that because I realized I don't have time for it today. I'm really excited to talk to you about these things, so let's jump right in. This podcast relies heavily on information from a book, Cure Tooth Decay, Heal and Prevent Cavities with Nutrition by Ramil Nagel. And although I don't agree with everything he shares as far as his exact interpretation of the studies and the phytochemical effects and responses of the body to them that he brings up, It is an amazing starting point and I learned a lot. I would not have been able to start out on my tooth healing journey without this book. And that's right. This is, has been a process and an experimentation for me that I've been taking notes on. So because there's so many references in this podcast, I will just refer you to his book and you can look at over the eight pages of endnotes because writing them here and reorganizing to the order we bring them up in this episode would be impossible. First, let's talk about what cavities really are. To do that, we need to look into the history of dentistry. The formation of the ADA, or the American Dental Association, came about, and at that time they were having trouble deciding on the theory that they wanted to stick with and base their practice, this fellowship of dentists, on. And so they they kind of just voted on it, and they, they, there were several different ideas, and this idea brought forth by a Weston Price had a completely different theory than the theory that was accepted and that we know today that bacteria on our teeth causes cavities. The evidence that Dr. Price found was that this is actually not true. That bacteria on our teeth is not what causes cavities. The bacteria on our teeth is actually just a natural reaction to the decay process that is happening because of factors within our body that are affecting us to have tooth decay, if that makes sense. This is a little bit new to me, so I know I have a lot of knowledge on food and manipulating food for health, but 
from a oral perspective, it's, I'm still learning, so bear with me. This alternative oral decay theory was supported through science. One of the things that you need to recognize is that if you're really understanding tooth decay as a process that occurs when you have a lack of nutrients to your tooth and it kind of a process that happens from the inside out versus just decaying from bacteria and bacteria poop on your teeth, tooth decay technically really needs to be reclassified, not as an infectious bacterial caused disease, but as two different things. And I hope I pronounced these correctly. Odontoporosis, which is a decrease in tooth density causing tooth weakness, and odontoclasia, which is the absorption and destruction of tooth enamel, dentin, and tissue. Basically, what I'm saying is, according to this theory, which I I can't accredit this all to Dr. Price because there was also a dentist, Ralph Steinman, who discovered that our teeth's ability to remineralize is based on the regulating action of the large salivary glands, which is what I kind of said I hinted at in the intro, which I just think is so cool. So I didn't mention that really fast. Um, that it is possible to remineralize your teeth, and we have science, and we have had this for years. This isn't new stuff. It was just kind of like a vote they voted on. But anyway, this odontoporosis and the odontoclasia combined make up what we call today tooth decay. And then the bacteria is just a response and a natural occurrence after that. The theory is that the main cause of tooth decay is not bacteria sitting on the teeth, but it is related to what you eat in another way, and that is the ability of your body to absorb certain things. Because it was found that the pituitary gland was triggered by these certain minerals in your body. They found that if your blood sugar levels, when you're chronically off balance, just cause tooth decay and gum disease like crazy. And so the pituitary gland is kind of your master gland. And basically, the way that I think of it and can interpret it is some people have just a more active or involved, I guess, pituitary gland. And so this is where you see people who just eat junk all the time and they still seem to have really strong teeth. They don't need as many of those minerals in order to trigger their body to respond and repair density loss and infection and the inflammation and all the sorts of things that are causing cavities from the inside out. We're at the point now in the history where the American Dental Association has kind of accepted this bacteria sits on your teeth, it causes cavities theory that they've just kind of accepted. They voted on it. They decided that that's what it was. And we base all of the medical practice of today off of that. Modern dentistry is very interesting. I'm not here to shame dentists or dentistry, but these are widely known and accepted methods and philosophies of modern dentistry. There's something called the extension for prevention method, which essentially means that when you're getting getting cavities drilled out, they drill out extra. They drill out more of the healthy tooth in an effort to prevent that from turning into a cavity. It's just very, interestingly enough, not really based on that much science. And they also have a philosophy called the drill and fill 
or you could add drill, fill, and bill philosophy. Basically, you drill it, you fill it, you bill it. There's one other thing about modern dentistry that I was just appalled at that I wanted to share about. It's called the dental code of silence. The dental code of silence means that if a dentist sees bad dental work in a patient's mouth, he or she will remain silent rather than letting their patient know their condition. The only time a dentist might comment on previous dental work is if it's extremely, extremely poorly done or they can tell or know otherwise that it was performed in another country, which is just crazy. We live in a society where it's we're all go, go, go. These ideas of modern dentistry are built upon the same thing and there's no sort of accountability. The dental code of silence ensures that there is no accountability. Nobody is going to go to another dentist and then the dentist is going to say, oh, these are terrible. They should have done a better job. You are walking, you could be walking around with a mouthful of terribly placed fillings and all that and no one is going to say anything because of this dental code of silence. So that was just crazy to me to learn about that. Let's move on though, onto the history of fillings and the material that that they've used over time. So kind of in the beginning, they started out using gold, which gold was obviously soft and expensive. So then they switched to silver, mercury, amalgam fillings. Those are all the same thing, different names for the same thing. If you say, oh, it's not a mercury filling, it's a silver filling or an amalgam filling, they are over 50% mercury. And then we have composite, which is mostly what's used nowadays. I had somebody reach out to me on Instagram and say that on their base, they're in the military, they still used amalgam fillings and I just thought that was insane. So it is not illegal in the United States, although it is illegal in other places. Most now will use composite, which is usually glass and plastic, mixture of glass and plastic. Let's focus right now on mercury because if you don't know this, mercury has actually been named by the US government's Agency for Toxic Substances and Disease Registry at number three for the most toxic chemical or metals on the planet. So out of the most toxic chemicals and metals on the planet has been named number three and we still act like it's totally fine to walk around with that in our head. Just imagine if you had plutonium in filling. Do you feel like we would just all be okay with that? There's a story of this doctor, of this dentist, his name is Dr. Olympio Pinto. He was introduced to the subject of mercury toxicity by Dr. Hal Huggins, which I am going to refer you to some two books by Dr. Hal Huggins at the end of this. He finished his master's degree at Georgetown. This is Dr. Pinto. And his thesis topic was mercury toxicity. His thesis was never published because the National Institute of Dental Research, part of the National Institute of Health, it's a sub-branch of it, I believe, found out about his project and stopped it. Dr. Huggins eventually took uh, Dr. Pinto's work and published the material himself in the Journal of the International Academy of Preventative Medicine in 1976. Obviously, a little bit less exposure than it should have had. Mercury fillings are highly toxic. It's, it's not up for debate. It's not a question. They are highly toxic. And okay, get this. The Agency for Toxic Substances and Disease Registry through the US government restricts safe levels of mercury vapors 
for the average person, so this is the max amount of mercury vapors you should be exposed to, is 0.28 micrograms. And it's estimated that between 4 and 19 micrograms, in other words, 10 to 50 times more than the safe level of mercury vapors are what you are exposed to when you have mercury amalgams. It's just crazy. It's despite this evidence, despite this knowledge and all of the information we have on the dangers of mercury in the body, the code of ethics of the D American Dental Association specifically prohibits dentists from telling patients to remove their mercury fillings because mercury is toxic. It will not allow your dentist to tell you you should remove your mercury filling because mercury is poisoning you. You can go to a doctor and they can tell you that or you can ask your dentist to remove them but your dentist is not allowed to tell you that mercury fillings are toxic. Dentists who are caught disobeying the ADA code of conduct can lose their license. Their entire career is on the line for telling you this. Why do they care about it so much? Dentists are allowed to remove mercury fillings by your requests, your doctor's requests, or if your fillings are damaged, but they can not advise you to remove a functional mercury filling. Whatever happened to free speech? Who knows? If you think your mercury filling might be making you sick, do not go ask your dentist. He is literally not allowed to tell you. He will lose his license. He will lose his job as a dentist. Don't ask your dentist. Other options are seeking the advice of a mercury-free dentist, a holistic medical doctor, or a naturopathic doctor who can perform something called a mercury challenge test to see if you are retaining mercury. Just a word of caution, not just anyone should remove mercury fillings because they are extremely toxic when the vapors are exposed. That means that even removing them can do more harm than leaving them in your mouth if they're not done correctly. So replacing mercury fillings needs to be done with just a lot of caution, a lot of care, and finding a dentist who has some sort of, I would say, streamlined procedure that they follow to do it, that you feel good about and you've asked them about it. Something else I really talked about that I don't think I'm going to have time to talk about or this is just going to go on forever, but it's talking about the electrical charges of your body and the different electrical charges of different types of fillings. And it's super, super interesting if you want to check out that in the book because that can affect your entire um, that can affect your entire body just by throwing off your electrical systems. There's some really good resources in this book, by the way, on finding good filling material and good filling material for you specifically. I really like that. It's from pages 132 to 135. So I just wanted to throw that out there. If you want to get the book as a reference guide, in the show notes, I do put page references so that you can go and learn more about these things because I want to cover a lot. I'm just going to focus on my favorite, most juicy stuff. And then you guys can go and dig into the science behind it a little more and I'll leave references for those. Anyway, the idea of root canals. So this was a cool story. I want to share this with you. I just have a few more of these little juicy details before we move on to healing cavities, but I just kind of wanted to set the stage for this because it is just 
so dramatic and so interesting. And people think, oh, how can Alyssa read this kind of stuff or research this kind of stuff? But I just, it's, it's good. It's so good. All right. So this is a doctor, George Meinig. Yes, let's go with that. Meinig? George Meinig. He's a dentist. He's one of the founders of the American Association of Endodontists. If you don't know what an endodontist is, then that's really nice because that probably means you have not been to one. They're root canal specialists. And he started this association. He's one of the founders of it. Now in the U.S. alone, there are more than 30, not thousand, 30 million root canals performed. It's it's a $30 billion industry. And Dr. Meinig wants this huge advocate, obviously he started the American Association for Endodontist, after a lifetime of performing root canals as a dentist, changed his position after he read the research of Dr. Weston Price, who is just, he's going to come up a lot. Let me just say that. We'll have a book by him at the bottom. He is basically, I would say, the grandfather of functional oral health. Anyway, so he read research by Dr. Weston Price and he totally changed his tune. He was quoted to have said, a high percentage of chronic degenerative disease can originate from root-filled teeth. Yes, we're talking about root canals. This means root canals, what he's saying is root canals cause chronic degenerative disease. The most frequent were heart and circulatory diseases. Very interesting, since heart disease is the number one killer in the United States. The next most common disease were those of joints, arthritis. I wanted to share that to preface this, because if you're thinking, well, what's the big deal? I can just get my teeth filled. This is for people who don't want to get their teeth filled, for people who don't like the dentist or who want to be all super crazy crunchy like Alyssa. Your overall health can be greatly, greatly affected negatively or positively depending on if you have root canals. I think I have a statistic on how many of them are infected. Ha. Okay. The most recent study of root canal success rates over five and 10 year periods revealed a dismal 30 to 40%. That's 30 to 40% success rate on root canals. During the time of Dr. Price, the rate of root canals was definitely, had definitely had no observable side effect was 25%. So the likelihood that you will have side effects. Wow, not for me, whatever. I just kind of wanted to see if you could heal cavities easy, this seems like a big deal, whatever, I'll just get a root canal. Let me tell you that your chances of having no complications from your root canal is 25%. You have a 70% likelihood of having a root canal that has observable side effects. We're talking about these chronic and degenerative diseases that originate from these root-filled teeth. Obviously, that goes without saying, if you're suffering from a serious chronic health problem, consider seeing a professional who can help you determine if your root canals are causing your health problems. Because as you know, when they give you a root canal, they freak you out and tell you, oh, that's right by a blood vessel that goes straight to your brain. And if you don't get that out right now, it's going to poison your brain and you're going to die. I don't know if you've heard that one, getting a root canal. But the majority of the time, the root canal was either unneeded or it was so far gone 
that you will see chronic side effects from it. I don't know which one you would prefer to know that it was so far gone or to think that your tooth would have been fine without a root canal. So hopefully you have better odds than a 25% chance of not having serious health problems from it. Or sorry, I shouldn't say serious. I should say observable. I don't know. Anyway, if I have your attention now, I can move on to why it is so important to prevent, prevent this. So you're thinking right now, like, okay, well, I, I want to prevent in my other teeth. But right now, if you're listening to this, you're probably wondering, how do I just, let's start with getting rid of the pain that's in my teeth right now, or my tooth, or my sensitive teeth, or my gums hurt. So I'm going to give you a list of seven tips for overcoming tooth pain. So we're not talking about restoring, we're not talking about remineralizing yet, we're just talking about overcoming tooth pain, okay? So here's some quick ideas. Place clove oil or powdered cloves on the painful tooth. Swish coconut oil. We'll talk about oil pulling a little bit more later, or maybe we won't. Let's just talk about it now. So swishing coconut oil, you can also use sesame seed oil. I don't really use seed oil, so we have coconut oil at our house, and I just use that. In your mouth for five to ten minutes is what Ramil Nagal suggests. I suggest ten to twenty minutes, and then spit it out. Just a word to the wise, do not spit it in your sink. It's just going to make a huge mess. Spit it in a trash can because it'll re-solidify in your sink and make it so gross. This is called oil pulling and it's a good method for cleaning the body and improving oral health. It's an Ayurvedic method of oral health. Another one, place golden seal powder on or near the painful tooth. Oil of oregano on the tooth. I have done this one I will tell you, you can get rid of a cavity this way. I have done it before. I got rid of a cavity because I felt it getting tacky. I looked back there. I saw that it was kind of like blackish. I put oregano on it. Be careful. Oregano is really strong. <laughs> Be careful. You'll burn your mouth. I put it on a Q-tip and then pushed it onto my tooth and then I lifted it out and then I put, because I don't want to touch my tongue. It's very, very strong oil. And then I put a cotton ball on top of that and tried to hold it on top of my tooth for a while. I did that a few days in a row and meanwhile Trent signed me up or signed me up whatever you call it um set up a dentist appointment for me and I went in and he said well you don't have a cavity you do have staining though and I told him he said you know what if I don't remember how we got on the topic I just told him that I had put oregano oil on it and he kind of demeaningly joked it off and said, you know, oh, you people and your oils think you can solve anything. All you did was stain your tooth. And so I thought, oh, great, I stained my tooth. And I had never thought about it since until now. And now the other day I was thinking about it and I was like, wait a minute, I didn't stain my tooth because I saw pictures in this book of somebody who had remineralized their tooth and the dark part had not gone away. It was just kind of a glossy, glassy layer that had redeveloped over that. And that's exactly what my tooth looked like. And I had just taken the dentist's word for it that I had stained my tooth with essential oils, which even thinking about it more now, I had used that oil on another cavity before and it never stained it. So why did I... It, why did I just think that and take his word for it and believe it? Because modern dentistry does not believe that we can heal our cavities, that we can remineralize our teeth. So I do know the power of oregano oil. I also know it's really strong, so be careful. Uh, dissolve a moderate amount of natural salt 
in a small amount of water and swish it in your mouth. Basically, salt water gargling or swishing for a little bit. Um, I don't recommend using... No, I don't want to say I don't recommend because I, d- I don't make any recommendations, wink, wink. <laughs> no, I don't even... I shouldn't even say that. I'm going to get in trouble. I don't use mouthwash. You're just killing off all of that natural bacteria in your mouth. And as we know, not all bacteria is bad. And if we are leaning into this theory that that bacteria in your mouth is not what causes the problems anyway, then you don't really want to intensely sanitize your teeth, right? Especially at the detriment of your other organs, you know. And we could go into fluoride a whole nother day. But salt water and oil are great and very cheap ways to improve your oral health. So echinacea, it's also known as the toothache plant, and it can be applied to your tooth or you can ingest it uh, using a tincture or a powder to help your teeth, help your teeth, tooth pain. Remember, this whole list is about tooth pain. The last one I would say is supplementing with vitamin B. It's a vitamin that you find in liver, sunflower seeds, shiitake mushrooms, and eggs. I would just say eat some sunflower seeds and some mushrooms, some shiitake mushrooms, and that can actually help with your tooth pain. Discoloration in your teeth is not as big of an indicator of tooth health. I mean, I guess we don't really see it as an indicator of tooth health. We just kind of are like very proud of having white teeth. It can be linked to jaundice. Like if you see somebody who's an alcoholic, they typically have yellow teeth. That's typically not because the alcohol straight on their teeth. Problems with your liver can cause your teeth to turn yellow. Other liver problems as well. So if you have a history of liver problems or you think you might have liver problems, that could be a sign of that. Let's talk about what's in toothpaste. I think that's interesting. Basically, abrasives and very intense cleaners and other things that you can just look up and read and just go google what they are off the back of your bottle of toothpaste. Um, Trent sent me a really good resource of somebody who explains it in layman, oh excuse me, who explains it in layman's terms on Instagram so I'll repost that on my Instagram for you guys. Maybe I'll make a tooth highlight. Because bacteria is everywhere, trying to eliminate bacteria from your mouth to prevent tooth decay would be like trying to eliminate rain from the sky to prevent a leaky roof is what the author of this book says. And I love that analogy because that is just how it is. I always talk about this. I can't I can't help it. I have to mention this. I, I always think about this when people talk about how, oh, they let me labor in the birth tub when they're giving birth, but then I had to give it out so they, the baby wasn't exposed to the bacteria in the water. And I just like, oh crap, someone forgot to tell doctors that there's bacteria in the air. Or is there something sacred about hospital air? Am I right? Okay. <laughs> anyway, It's everywhere. Bacteria is everywhere. Stop trying to completely demolish bacteria. It's not going to happen. Just embrace the balance of it. Destroying all that bacteria with your, all those sugar bugs, all those germs with your toothpaste and your mouthwash. Let's just try another approach to maintain a healthy balance of bacteria. Something that we've finally accepted for other parts of our body, namely our gut. Okay, so here's a tooth powder recipe. I will link it in the show note, uh, which you can find at hosbees.com slash recipes and more. That's where my blog is, and it'll be under this blog title. Three parts oat bark, 
two parts comfrey root, which is great for migraines, by the way, as well. Uh, three parts horsetail grass, one part labellia, which I have not heard of. And I just want to put out the disclaimer out there that I have not yet tried this, but I will definitely post on my Instagram when I do. One part clove and three parts peppermint. And this is talking about herbs, the leaves. You can get it at your local herb shop. If you don't know where your local herb shop is, find it. It will be a great resource to you. The author also suggests putting this on an area of your gum that needs healed or is swollen or is infected and gives the comment that using these over a long period of time can also cause some discoloration, but that that can easily be removed. Keep in mind that I haven't tried this, but if you follow me on Instagram at Hosby's Honey, I will post about it when I do because I'm definitely going to stop by the herb shop, pick these up, and try it out. I actually have some peppermint herb already. Let's touch on flossing. Let's talk about what it does to and for our teeth. So basically the idea of flossing is just a, you know, get the stuff that's stuck between our teeth. Oftentimes what happens is we push up in an effort to get really deep in between our teeth and you actually push unwanted food particles that are being broken down by bacteria uh, under your gums. So the suggestion is that if you're going to floss daily, don't push it up into your gum and you should really look into a water pick or a water flosser. We have a water pick. I used to use it more often. I used to floss and then use it and I was always surprised at what more came out. Something else I want to talk about is why your teeth are crooked. I know you don't want to hear this. I know you just want to hear that it's genes so you can blame it on your mom and dad. But your teeth, just like the reason that they're rotten, the reason that they're crooked, has more to do with nutrition than genetic. This this is super interesting. A study from uh, that Weston Price did, where they studied different populations of people, where the demographic of people genetically was very similar, but the diet was very different in different areas. So, the one that he shows pictures of that just blow my mind are of the Aborigines in Australia. And he shows a picture of a woman who is eating kind of traditional diet where she's eating um, bugs and seafood and all sorts of parts of the fish rather than just what we would consider the edible parts here in the United States. Broths made from the fish and really using every part of things. Lots of plants in the diet and foraging and things like that and then in contrast oh and she just she's beautiful she has a nice round face her teeth looked like she went to the best orthodontist in the world they are white they are so straight her bite is perfect and another thing that he kind of talks about a little bit is the shape of the nostrils So her nostrils are very even and well-shaped, but I just thought that was worth mentioning. The nostril size and shape was was very interesting that there was a noticeable difference with that. In contrast to the people who were eating, who were from the same, you know, tribal genetic background, eating modern day foods, modern day processed foods, and their teeth are just... I mean, even pictures of little kids. It is so sad. Their teeth are just falling out all over and the older people are just gums and their jaws are just shaped differently. Their teeth look like they're too big when they're in there and then when they're falling out, they're 
you know, it's just all empty. And something very interesting that I found out in this book is that the nutritional dependence that the shape of your teeth and your jaw development has on what you eat, your nutrition. And when kids don't get adequate nutrition, it affects the development of their jaw. And so kids go to the orthodontist and they say, well, their teeth are too big. They have big teeth. Um, It's actually not that their teeth are too big. It's that their arch of their mouth is too narrow because it's underdeveloped. And so if it were wider and bigger, their teeth would all fit. But it's underdeveloped because they are nutritionally malnourished. That's another great reason to listen to the advice that I am just leading up to like it's the Bachelor season finale because I'm just not getting down to it and telling you. Um, That association is just one other reason to prevent and to address now so you don't have to pay for orthodontic care um if your kids have crooked teeth i'm not trying to make you feel bad just trying to save some money for some people you know your bite is also quite important to your ability to prevent cavities which has a lot to do with the development of your jaw which is dependent on your nutrient intake basically eat some good foods Make sure you're getting the vitamins and minerals and especially in specific forms. And that is what we are going to finally talk about now. Alyssa's Cavity Healing Protocol. I'm going to put this in the show notes. I don't agree, like I said earlier, with everything in this book. I'm going to focus on the things that I really felt because I think that's a very important aspect to your health is learning and taking in from other people, evaluating it, and what some people might call anecdotal, I would prefer to call spiritual or intuitive knowledge. And I think that is quite important. So if you feel any sort of weird feelings or thoughts about the things that I'm saying, I would say you just need to go with your gut. I wanted to be open to a lot of his ideas. But for me, trying to heal a tooth at the expense of the health of the rest of my body overall over time and the things that I knew about that weren't worth it. So I'm just going to focus on these things. Also, I thought some of the studies were a little bit limited to certain areas. He didn't, Weston Price, which is what a lot of this research or a lot of the research that this book is founded on did not go to India or Asia or other places where they have a lot of vegetarian or more plant-based diets which is the way that I lean I'm not vegetarian I'm not vegan um but I do not eat a lot of meat and for me that is a basic core belief it's a religious belief that I don't eat a lot of meat I also hold the religious belief that I should not not eat meat. Anyway, we can get into my religious association with health and food and how that affects my thoughts on that some other time, which I would love to do. I'd absolutely love to do. So for me, that spiritual basis is the foundation that everything else that I learn and believe is scaled against and based on. And so anything that's asking me to eat a lot of meat is not something that I'm even going to look into because I already hold that basic core belief, which it might be good for your teeth, but I already know other things about how it affects your overall overall health. Anyway, so oil pulling. In the morning, I wake up, 
I do my miracle morning and I do oil pulling after that. So I could even do it while I'm meditating. I just I just don't like going in the kitchen in the morning. It gets me like in cleaning mode and I don't want to be in cleaning mode. I'm trying to do my routine. I use like half a tablespoon, maybe even less than that because the first day I used so much and I like gagged on it of coconut oil and I just swish it around in my mouth for 10 minutes. It doesn't have to be crazy. It doesn't have to be swishing super hardcore. Just kind of let it run around in your mouth. Just let it sit in there for a while. You might be surprised at what comes out or what color it is. I have not personally had any experiences with it being like a murky yellow color when it comes about, but I have heard of people who experience that. Mine is more just particles that come out that I'm like, what in the world? How is this in my teeth? I haven't even eaten anything today yet. The second thing that I do is I take a cod liver oil supplement. So that's one thing that I did feel in line with from this protocol. I take a cod liver oil and a skate liver oil supplement and I use a very specific brand um, of fermented cod liver oil because the quality is preserved since it's not heated and you can get the oil in like a a syringe form which is what I did uh, because Brighton takes it too and she can't take pills and and I was like I don't want to buy both so but you can get it in capsules and a few people on Instagram did suggest to me when I talked about having the fishy burps (laughs) that you can put the capsules in the freezer and then they get a little bit further along in your digestive tract before they open up and you don't get fish burps supposedly I hadn't I haven't tried it because I don't have the capsules this brand also tests for heavy metals if you're worried about mercury and fish like I am so I really suggest this specific brand that I will link in the show notes under my protocol section I take 1500 milligrams of cod liver oil and then I take a thousand milligrams of skate liver oil and these are both really important because They are fat-soluble forms of vitamin A and vitamin D, which are essential for remineralizing your teeth. Okay, these are things that I'm avoiding for a little bit. All refined flours, even gluten-free, processed sugars, high-sugar fruit, and less but still processed sugars. I do not believe in vilifying fruits. I think they are great. And I think that they are a lot of times oversimplified and understood just in the form of the carbohydrates that they hold. But they are so nutrient-dense. There's so many phytonutrients that you can absorb and benefit from by eating fruits. But right now, I am avoiding dates, oranges, bananas, peaches, grapes, and I just started eating blueberries again. So, because they're just so dang good for you. You have to understand also that fruits have been bred to be as sweet as they are now. You know, someone didn't like taste an orange and say, oh, this is a super sour orange. Can I have like a, you know, a graft off your tree or not a graft, a a stick off your tree to replant? I don't even know if that's how orange trees work. I should since we keep our bees in organic orange groves, but I don't. So anyway, replant an orange tree or, you know, get a whatever, propagate the types of oranges that are sour. No, we naturally tend to like things that are sweeter. So over time, fruits have just gotten sweeter and sweeter and sweeter. And there aren't as many of the more bitter or sour varieties within all fruit. But just that to say that I'm avoiding them for now because of the insulin response, which depletes your body. I guess I shouldn't say depletes because it's a natural function of your body. It's just using up those vitamins and those trace minerals that your body's going to need to remineralize your tooth. 
right now I'm just giving it a little break so it can focus on that essentially. I'm not trying to say they're bad. I'm not trying to say you should avoid them long term. For Brighton, I am having her eat and focus on really blackberries, raspberries, kiwis, and green apples which are more low sugar fruits so that her body can use those vitamins and those trace minerals to focus on remineralizing her teeth. So she doesn't have as intense of a cavity as me, so I'm being a little bit more it's being a little bit more strict with myself, I guess. This kind of brings up the idea of like why sugar causes cavities. If I'm saying there's such different theories on cavities and what tooth decay really is, then why is there this big agreement on sugar causing cavities? Well, sugar does cause cavities. It might not be in the way that you think of it. Our modern dentistry teaches you eat sugar, it sits on your teeth. Since it's easier, easier for the bacteria to eat, they come over, they eat it, they poop, it burns a hole in your tooth or whatever it is that it does to make the cavity. I don't know. Which I won't deny that the bacteria on your teeth eat that and grow from that. Um, I'm not saying it's necessarily all good that it does that either, but essentially the reason that sugar actually causes cavities is because of the, the blood sugar fluctuations. So white sugar, I was so happy to read this in the book. Let me tell you how happy I was to read this in the book. White sugar produced in in this um experiment the most extensive significant blood sugar fluctuations which lasted five hours so high peaks five hours the fruit sugar so sugar from fruit which i was unclear on whether they actually ate a whole fruit or if they had some sort of just fructose whatever which is very different to me because the fiber in there will help balance your blood sugars. So the fruit sugar produced fewer fluctuations, but it was still out of balance for five hours. So kind of normal peaks, medium peaks for five hours. Honey caused even fewer fluctuations and the blood sugar stabilized after three hours. It was in balance after three hours and there were low fluctuations. And I was just so happy to hear that. So I have to tell you that. The reason this is significant and the reason that you should eat honey. Yay, this turned into commercial for me. So the longer your blood sugar is out of control, the longer and more significantly the calcium and phosphorus ratios in your body and your blood are altered. Calcium and phosphorus are also needed to remineralize your teeth. So you need to make sure that they're available. Conventional dentistry believes that it's carbs, food sticking to your teeth, on your actual teeth that cause cavities, when really it's the change of the blood chemistry and the calcium and phosphorus in your blood that causes tooth decay from sugar. Sorry, it's not the calcium and phosphorus in your blood that's causing it. It's the fluctuations that make those... Um, minerals unavailable to you, make the calcium and phosphorus unavailable to you. So tooth decay is more of a connection to the type of foods you eat than the frequency of you eating. I know sometimes you go to the dentist and the dentist says, well, don't snack as much. Then those things won't be sitting on your teeth. From this evidence that we're seeing, it doesn't matter the frequency of what you eat, but what type of food you are eating when you do eat. Quality protein. Let's talk about quality protein. So he talks about meats. Um, I'm just going to talk about quality meat because I know most people who are listening to this eat meat and they eat quite a bit of meat. 
but if I can at least get you to maybe start out by sorry I keep yawning it's literally 10 30 at night and I've been going to bed at like 9 or 8 30 um so the quality of your protein is obviously very important I was actually just listening to a the health revolution summit oh my gosh my favorite health food conference of the year and they were talking about bone broth and how I somehow got on the subject of flint michigan and you know the the lead levels there and you know all about that then talking about cows and how i don't know if this is true for humans i'm guessing it is as well but cows store the lead in their bones so when your body's exposed to like toxic heavy metals it will concentrate it in a specific area to kind of like try to seal it off from the rest of your body as far as i understand um that's why sometimes you get little nodules where you get vaccines because they use heavy metals in vaccines to make your body hold on to it and not flush it out because your body realizes hey that's toxic if i try to flush it out I'm going to expose the whole, you know, system to that stuff rather than just trying to like wrap it up and hide it away. Anyway, so cattle hold lead in their bones. So when you consume bone broth, you could be consuming lead soup. So the quality of your protein, of your ingredients, especially of your animal ingredients, just these disgusting factory farms that they have nowadays are just, I mean, that's exactly what it is. It's a factory. Just terrible, like the worst conditions that you could think of. And yeah, you might not care about the emotions of the cow, but even if you don't care about that, think about the conditions of that steak on your plate or that bone broth that you're making. I would suggest going to a very hyperlocal source for your bone broth. There may or may not be companies that test lead, but I would just stick with local. You can go to a local farmer's market, find somebody who sells meat, you know, lamb, chicken, other poultry, beef, whatever it is, and ask them for bones and they will sell them to you. So if they do their own butchering, that probably is another great indication that the quality of the meat is higher and that will allow them to have the bones to resell to you. Bone broth has been a part of my routine. I also eat beans, which are high in carbohydrate, which can affect your blood sugar, but because I am not eating any other refined flours or high sugar fruits, I really want to hold on to beans because they are just so good for you. High carb diet is ideally the diet that I have because it's the one that I've researched and, and found to be most associated with longevity. So I want to live a long life. I'm not going to eat a high protein, low carb diet. I'm going to eat a high carb diet. And I know that is so unpopular, but you have to understand that I don't mean by carbs a hunk of bread. I'm thinking uh, carbs from vegetables and beans mostly and other amazing grains. Okay, so speaking of grains, I want to talk about phytic acid. Okay, something just to be aware of is phytic acid and its effects on your calcium and phosphorus. Phytic acid is in a lot of foods, especially plant foods, and the author of this book seems to be pretty wary of it. I think he seems to be a little bit overly worried about it depleting minerals 
Um, it's referred to sometimes as an anti-nutrient because it absorbs a lot of the nutrients in your body. It just seems to be more of an idea that he has and a philosophy that he has that kind of fits with the idea of eating this um, more paleolithic diet is kind of the idea that I got of that. And so to fall in line with that, just the idea that phytic acid acid is so scary and bad for you and that you shouldn't eat any grains ever and you shouldn't eat beans or you should soak them and sprout them and all that. I think those can be great and I think reducing your phytic acid intake can be beneficial, especially when you're working on trying to keep your vitamin D and C and A levels high. But I think the book kind of takes it to the extreme of you know, making you worried about eating any of those things at all ever. And I do think there are a lot of benefits to be had from eating like raw nuts, for example, and oats and things like that that have an overall benefit to your overall health, which I feel if you see your body in a holistic way, is going to be beneficial to your teeth naturally. It's a tough one because he does like spend almost half the book talking about phytic acid, ways to reduce it in different foods, and how you should never eat raw nuts, and um, a lot of vegetables, you know, to eat mostly cooked, and I think you should have a good variety of both. Just from other studies that I've done on overall health, uh, one thing he does suggest is not to buy store-bought nut milk, and he's a large proponent for dairy. If you drink dairy, obviously you want to get that unpasteurized, raw, low local, very meticulously cared for. I totally agree with that. If you drink dairy, then that's probably the only way you're going to get nutrients from milk is if it's raw. Pasteurization just kills all of the nutrients. Another thing that I really agreed with and something that I'm doing that might not seem that hard if you just keep olive oil and coconut oil in your house, um, but to avoid consuming seed oils and other random oils. He did talk about canola oil and I thought that was kind of interesting. Canola oil was not named after a plant, but it was a short term for Canadian oil. Fun fact, the FDA prohibits using canola oil in baby formula because it is literally known to retard growth. It's extracted by a combination of high temperature mechanical pressing and solvent extraction. So it's just really high heat and lots of pressure. It doesn't usually make you feel good, so that's a really good, you know, just like intuitive as evidence. Homemade nut milks, whether you choose to roast them like he suggests or not, I have recipes on my Instagram. And then I just wrote a list of plant sources for vitamin C on the show notes. Broccoli, cauliflower, bell peppers, mustard greens, cabbage, and of course sauerkraut cabbage are all really high in vitamin C. They're all good plant sources for vitamin C that you can add in and eat daily. And those are things that I'm really focusing on eating daily. For dinner tonight, I had a bell pepper salad and it was super good. And we've been eating a ton of cabbage. I think it tastes delicious in soups. Again, just remember the bone broth and the bone marrow that you can get locally. Just make sure you can trust it and keep in mind that risk of lead. Salmon, something that I listed on my um my protocol, trying to eat that one or two times per week at the minimum. Because he does talk a lot about seafood and he has something through the research of Dr. Price, Dr. Weston Price, 
that he reviews, he talks about something called the Activator X. Basically, you want fat-soluble vitamin D, vitamin A, you want vitamin C, you want calcium, you want all of those things to be high. And then you also want something, this Activator X. They weren't quite sure in the studies what it was, but they made lists of the different... So they did like um, the Outer Hebrides, which is in Scotland. Um, they did the Swiss Alps in a comparison of modern food versus traditional food. And they did a comparison of the Aborigines modern versus traditional diet in Australia. One of the things that they all had in common was that they were eating a lot of um, organ meats of land and especially sea animals in the traditional cultures. And so they kind of named this thing Activator X, something that is in something that they eat that we also need. He just kind of goes over some of those. And I've hit on a lot of them already and salmon was just one that I have access to because we go salmon fishing every year in Alaska and so we get wild caught Alaskan sockeye salmon. There's actually charts in the book that talk about the different levels of nutrients and some of the foods for some of these specific vitamins so if you want to look at those or you can also look up charts like that online. Also adding foods with specific trace minerals that I need and so I just wrote down a list of ones that I wanted to eat and try to eat more of. It's just better if it's from real food and not supplements. That's just my experience. So for iron, I'd rather eat sun-dried tomatoes than take some iron pill. For folate, especially because of the association between folic acid and the effects on pregnancy and what I know about that, I just don't really want to take a folic acid synthetic form of this when I can easily eat asparagus or spinach or any leafy greens in adequate amounts to get the folate that I need and more. Manganese can get from nuts and sweet potatoes, so I had a bunch of sweet potatoes for lunch today. Iodine from seaweed. So especially if you don't drink industrial produced dairy products and you also don't use iodized salt, then you don't need very much iodine, but you do need a little bit. And if you don't do either of those things like I don't, then adding something like seaweed can give you just the right amount of iodine because the majority of the population today gets their just trace amount of iodine that they need in their body from the iodine that they clean milking equipment with for cows. So if you don't drink dairy and you don't use iodized salt, uh, then try adding in some seaweed to make sure you're getting those minimal but still important amounts of iodine, which are also important for overall health, but also remineralizing your teeth. One really good prevention idea that I also got for the future that I'm going to start implementing is to have dessert after lunch instead of dinner. And this kind of relates to the section we we're talking about blood sugar and the effects on your calcium and your phosphorus levels in your blood and your body after you eat sugary things. This just seems to be the time of day that your body manages your blood sugar levels the best. Obviously, this is in general. And right now might be a good time to just suggest getting a blood glucometer is that what it's called a blood glucose tester i do it when i'm pregnant and i have one and i just think it's really good to to understand that about yourself and if you see somebody pricking themselves who maybe has diabetes that you know or something and you think well i could never do that well maybe you should just try it let's go on to talk about the one good meal approach so this is going to be really comforting for those of you who i just kind of talked about that whole list and you're like wow now i have to completely change everything i eat around this list of like 
sweet potatoes and sundry tomatoes and seaweed and how do I eat that all together and all day long every day and not eat this and not eat that there was a study that um Weston Price also did it was school children who had a highly processed diet and he took them and he gave them one good meal at school and they called this the one good meal approach and 60 to 80 percent of the kids after I think it was one week had no further decay and it was already starting to reverse by the end of their short study that they did but they called it the one good meal approach because they focused on giving the kids like a really good hearty stew something full of all of the nutrients that they had researched in the previous study to be beneficial to their health they gave them a big glass of milk and they gave them some usually i think it was like just a stew with um fish broth and they only had that one good meal during the day the rest of the day they ate whatever their family ate at home and it still had a huge effect so if you're trying to reverse minimal tooth decay or you are just feeling overwhelmed by it or you want to kind of start off in your health food journey with this task that I would say the one good meal approach is very achievable. So gum disease and recession, surprise, caused by the same things that decay and crooked teeth are. And there's a method that I hadn't heard of that the author talks about called blotting, which is basically taking your toothbrush and kind of like pressing it towards your teeth does that make sense to get the um rather than flossing or water flossing and you can floss like i mentioned earlier but it's best if you don't go all the way up to your gum and if you can water floss even better he does even touch on how to cure gum disease a lot of the same things that we're talking about already your body functions as a whole and it needs those you know trace minerals and those vitamins in order to continue to work properly not just with your teeth but your gums let's talk about eating organic and how this can affect pesticide ridden conventional foods those pesticides enter your bloodstream very soon after you eat them and you're just putting unnecessary strain on your body looking at the body as a whole and trying to heal your teeth giving your body more to work on and more problems is just going to make it take longer just doing whatever you can and even the author um, suggests this to buy small and local farms and going to farmers market buying from stores that buy from local farms not the hugest thing that you need to prioritize when you're healing your teeth but it is another thing to think about just adding to that and the benefits of that and definitely making sure that you buy honey from us let me just add that in there oh something else i found really interesting because i am not a coffee drinker not at all to know what coffee does to your teeth it does more than just discolor your teeth drinking too much coffee and then not getting enough protein leads to a decrease in your overall bone density so obviously that affects your teeth as well it also has an effect on your calcium phosphorus balance just like eating sugar does and it can overstimulate your glandular system we talked about coffee let's talk about drugs and i'm not just talking about street drugs i'm talking about over-the-counter medication prescription medication, hormone-altering medication, are your pills leading to your teeth being pulled? 
That's the question. Birth control pills increase your risk of developing gum disease. A fact. I really like how this author brings up drugs in the way that it doesn't it's not the way that he puts it is that it's not in harmony with nature's laws and principles which it's not um this emotional distress and trying to solve it through these things rather than giving thanks is one of the examples that he gives and having an inner dialogue with your tooth he suggests having an inner inner dialogue with your tooth so basically talking to your tooth and he said if you think it's hard maybe put something up on the counter and pretend like that's your tooth and you're talking to it and see what your tooth wants if you're saying like should i get a root canal should i get my root canal removed should i have my tooth pulled should i be trying to heal my tooth trying to understand what you should be doing about specific situation Again, relying on that intuitive and spiritual knowledge that you have. I did want to mention really quickly, for those with thyroid issues and diabetes, your added propensity for cavities. From some of the information that I read, I started to think, I wonder if that means that somebody who has a hormone imbalance or is taking medication for a hormone imbalance would be at a higher risk of cavities. Wouldn't you know, a couple pages later, start talking about it. So because we know that our parotid gland releases the information to kind of initiate the process of teeth remineralization and to release the minerals and things that need to be released into our saliva and such. It stimulates. Tooth decay is regulated by our glandular system through hormones, which are controlled by diet. There's lots of resources in here and finding a good dentist, finding a good dentist for you. I'll put a lot of notes. I'll put a ton of notes in the show notes for you guys. You can go back and look at this stuff. Isn't it neat? Don't you think? Really tired. I'm going to leave some supplemental reading. If you're looking for bone broth, marrow, raw milk, etc. If you're local, reach out to me. I can refer you to some people, but I would, my biggest suggestion would be to go to your farmer's market. And even if you don't see someone there selling it, go find a farmer and ask them because usually farmers who sell at farmer's markets are there themselves selling are very passionate about it and they usually have connections like that. So you can ask them if you don't see someone. I want to end with this. Dental drilling root canals, tooth pulling, mass water fluoridation, tooth brushing, and toothpaste were the proper treatment for cavities, then we would not see the increase in tooth decay over time. Basically, if the solution was drilling root canals, tooth pulling, water with fluoride, brushing your teeth, all the toothpaste, all the different kinds of toothpaste, if that was the proper treatment for cavities, why is the problem getting worse? All right, well, next time I want to talk about helping our kids with their tooth decay and a lot about prevention because sometimes we feel like, oh man, it's too late for me, but maybe I can help my kids. I hope it helped. It was just so much information. I just wrote a huge list of all the things I wanted to talk about and I hope I was able to talk about them adequately and I will talk to you next time. We are Hot Talks Health.